Hey guys, Andrew Doby here with Just a Chat With. If this is your first listen, Just a Chat With is a brand and creativity podcast where we talk with the world's best in class. In the last episode, we sat down with Kevin Swanepoel, who is the CEO for the One Club for Creativity, which is the world's foremost non-profit organization recognizing creative excellence in advertising and design. We had a great time with Kevin, so go check out that episode if you haven't already. For now, we've had people on the podcast like David Martin, uh, founder of Fantasy Interactive, uh, world-renowned designer Michael Wolf, and co-founder of Sid Lee, uh, Philip Mounier, and loads, loads more. So go check them out. And you can also check them out on our website, justachatwith.com. In today's episode, I sit down with Andy Morahan, a world-renowned commercial film and music video editor. Andy has literally made every music video for pretty much every artist you've ever heard heard of. Guns N' Roses, Elton John, Michael Jackson, and the list goes on and on. So I'm, I'm actually going to just let you skip on to today's episode and see because um, a hugely inspiring career from Andy and a great episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of Just a Chat With. I'm Andrew Doby. Today, I'm excited as we're here with none other than the amazing Andy Morahan, who's a world-renowned commercial film and music video director. With nearly 40 years of experience in the music industry, Andy has produced music videos and films for artists such as George Michael, Aerosmith, Michael Jackson, Van Halen, Bon Jovi, Elton John, Paul McCartney, Billy Joel, Tears for Fears, ACDC, Ozzy Osbourne, Wham, Tina Turner, Brian Adams, and my all-time favourite, Guns N' Roses. And the list doesn't stop here. Andy has won an MTV Award for Best Director for George Michael's Father Figure and Best Video for Guns N' Roses' November Rain, which has now been streamed I read this morning over a billion times on YouTube. Andy was twice Grammy nominated for long form videos, Cindy Lauper live in Paris and Michael Jackson live in Bucharest. And Andy also directed the groundbreaking guest jeans cheat commercial featuring performances from Juliette Lewis and Harry Dean Stanton. The innovative piece won over 80 advertising awards, including five DNADs, six Cleos and a couple of silver can lions. Uh, to add a cherry on top. Andy's client list now includes Ford, Carling, Lynx, Bacardi, Vodafone, VW, Canon, and many more. And Andy was recently recruited by Toyota uh, for their Prius campaign featuring Leonardo DiCaprio. Andy was also the first director to use Eva Mendez, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and Sienna Miller in commercials before their illustrious film careers. And there's so much more that Andy has worked on over the year that we could chat through. But luckily, there is an episode on VH1 Sky Arts called Video Killed the Radio Star, which covers Andy's career. Um, and so you can go and check that out. Andy... That's one of the most impressive <laughs> um, start of any podcast, I think, ever for anyone. Uh, thanks so much for being here. How are you? Oh, yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. It, uh, God, it sounds better when somebody else reads it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there wasn't enough room on uh, on my notes to write the whole thing. Uh, I think if we, when we met, first of all, and I, I came across and was introduced to you, when you go check out your wiki, and I would recommend that for any any anyone listening just now it's it and that list goes on and on and on and so, so how, how how does that all begin where where does where does that all start well um it's kind of started i mean a very quick thing my dad was at the bbc and his best friend was stanley dorfman and stanley dorfman used to do in concert shows on top of the pops so and had the first color tv in 
our uh, area in South London because they we live quite close to Stanley and his family, and I and he had the most incredible record collection I ever saw in my life because he used to get free free records and vinyl from the record companies. That's how they did promotion in those days. So I kind of grew up. I was uh, Stanley's. Uh, had one of his sons, Paul. I was his kind of best mate, and I just was just entranced by this whole world of you know, music and television. And so I kind of, and then I played in various bands during school and then at art college, St. Martin's, when we started making our own little videos. And it was just at that kind of forefront of um, of music videos in Europe. MTV had started in America, but it, they just started MTV Europe in the, in the early 80s. And we came out of college and... Um, you know, it's quite a few of us, Sophie Muller, me, Vaughan Arnell. We were kind of second, third wave of, you know, music video directors after people like Russell Mulcahy and David Mallett and mm-hmm. Steve Barron and stuff. And being Samaritans, we, you know, we kind of were lucky enough to be able to get kind of runner's jobs in various production companies and stuff like that. And used to haul cans of film up and down the street. And in those days, you didn't have little mini cameras on your phone or, you know, editing programs on your computer. So if you really wanted to do something, you had to basically, you know, pick up or you know, steal short ends from the fridge from some other production and, you know, borrow a bit of camera equipment and go out on the weekend and, um, and, and make your own thing. So we started making our own little videos. And when I was in a band called Havana Let's Go, which was signed to Polydor right after college, and we were... Uh, we only had a couple of singles out and were dropped by the label, but I suddenly had a couple of videos and I could see where it was going and I loved my film stuff. I'd done, you know, graphics and film studies at St. Martin. So I was kind of in the right place to, to jump in and, you know, have a, li- have a little reel very quickly and go into record companies and it all started from there. That's a really quick potted history of how, how I got to the point of making music videos. Yeah, and, and and you know, I read your your dad was a film director as well. He directed The Jewel in the Crown. Yeah, he did. Well, he he started in TV. He did things like Z Cars and and you know Emergency Ward Ten, and then he graduated to the BBC and did plays there, um, and then ended up um, you know doing things like Jewel in the Crown. He also did that Clockwise movie with John Cleese and stuff like that. <laughs> but. Um, so I was pretty lucky with my upbringing, but you know, beyond yeah. that, his dad was um, a production designer who who worked on many you know seminal British films in the forties and fifties. You know, things wow. like Jamaica Inn and The Long Arm and stuff like that. And um, and his his brother was a, a production Barney was a production designer, a, you know, art director as well. So kind of was. I was lucky enough to be in an environment and a family where that was the family business, basically. Yeah, I was going to say. So was it was it always kind of? Did you feel that you were always destined for that, or and and were you inspired by them? Did they kind of mentor you and kind of you know set you'd send you down that path, or did you just want to do it, having seen it? Well, the first thing I really wanted to be was a rock and roll star. <laughs> um, a star, that's a moot point. Um, being a rock and roll band, um, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was, music actually was my first love. Uh, but, I mean, you know, when you're in that environment, you, you know, my dad's best mates were writers and other directors and producers. And, you know, and it, you just kind of pick it up as you go along and, and in, in terms of your influence. And then, um, you know, having you know, being in various bands and that kind of, you know, emergence of music videos, it just seemed a, a really 
you know, kind of interesting mm. tie-up for me. You know what I'm saying? You kind yeah. of I, I hate to use that cliche expression in in the right place at the right time, but when I look back on it now, it was you know, I was I was ne- I, two things. I was never going to be a rock and roll star. <laughs> I wasn't good enough for that. And uh, but then again, you know, I love film, so it was a perfect kind of hybrid of the two things to get into music videos. Yeah, and was it was, was it guitar? What, what, what's your music interest? It started, started on guitar, but I mean, weirdly enough, I broke my hand during that whole period, and and part of my rehabilitation was piano, you know playing the piano in terms of my hand, and I never went back to the guitar. So, <laughs> so uh, funny how life uh, deals with stuff. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, that was just fun. That was fun school, fun art college. But it kind of set me up to make to make music videos yeah and so and so when you were when you were you know you mentioned we were at st martin's then what what, what did that course look like way back then you know and what, 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 what kind of year was that we're talking we're talking um 78 79 80 um i'd been at camwell doing foundation went to st martin's and in those days i mean you know there's pre-computer so i started on graphics and you know and you know, and that was great for things like photography and silkscreen and, you know, not so much if you didn't really want to set hand, you know, hot hot set type or whatever it used to be called. Um, so, but, you know, you learn the basics of, of graphic design, but part of the course was, you know, we, we were doing storyboards for stuff and then, you know, me and a few of the other people there, uh, like Sophie Muller were like, well, if you we do storyboards, why can't we film them? And the tutors are like, no, no, you don't. No, 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 you're the graphics guys. You just draw. And we go, no, 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 no. <laughs> we, we want to try and make these films. So we kind of bolstered ourselves into the, the, you know, the only film department there at the time was, I think there's a proper film department there now, but it was part of the painting course. So we used to just hang out down there and, and actually produced a lot of our degree, you know, our degree, degree show was films that we'd shot and, um, and it worked out really well, really. So, 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 so from, from all, all those kind of self-initiated projects that you would have been doing while you were studying mm-hmm. and, you know, friends, mm-hmm. bands and things, where, where did the real first break come from? Where did the, the first one that brought momentum or? Well, it, it was a, it was a weird thing. We, um, I went to work when I came out of college. I had done, I'd done some freelance work for a place called Cucumber Studios, which was run and owned by Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel, who went on to create Max Headroom. And they were primarily a kind of animation studio, but you had had ambitions for shooting live action. And I went, you know, after college, I went and, and worked with them initially freelance and then, you know, I became just one of their team, basically. And they were working on fantastic videos like, um, music videos like, you know, animated ones like Accidents Will Happen for Elvis Costello and um, Tom Tom Club, Genius of Love. Um, And while I was there, um, one of my mates at college, a guy called Perry Haynes, who was managing a band called King, and... King had, had a, you know, we're just about to have a single out and um, and they needed to get a cheap video done uh, for a song called Love and Pride. And um, and I talked to Rocky and Annabelle about it and they were like, oh, no, it's too cheap for us. <laughs> it's like, you know, but if you fancy doing it, go and do it. And, and I went and did it. And um, 
and it was a hit, weirdly enough. Um, so it's it's funny. You, you can make little little videos and do all stuff yourself and that, but you know, first time you get a you're associated with a song and a video that's in the charts, it's a game changer, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was a hit. So suddenly, I was able to you know contact the marketing people at other record companies, like you know. Uh, and, and and you know whoever was dealing with their videos at the time and and pushed my case forward and um, and then the second one was a Nick Haywood um, mm-hmm. single and then I think you know then I started suddenly I was doing you know suddenly all you know we were doing a lot of cheap pop videos because at that time with MTV Europe starting they wanted a video for every single band mm-hmm. and the big guys you know were doing things like you know Duran Duran and Ultravox by then but there was a lot of cheap work around so we kind of cut our teeth on. You know, Kim Wilde, Nick Kershaw, all that kind of stuff, you know, followed pretty quick. And then so then the next kind of, you know, once I got foot in the door and you're doing stuff and, and, and having little hits with, with stuff, the, the game changer for me was probably working with Wham mm. and George Michael because, you know, you can have the old hit here and there and people going, oh, you're in, on MTV, da, 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 that's great, da, da, da. but, you know, suddenly you're with – working with the biggest boy band of the time. Yeah. And um, that's a whole nother game changer because that becomes, you know, they're superstars and and so your work is seen everywhere. And so then I had that kind of journey through the, through that next phase of, of pop videos, which is Wham! And I'll come on to George Michael later, but, you know, Human League, Bananarama, all that kind of stuff, you know, so real kind of pop, you know, 80s pop stuff. And did they, and and did they, did they just start rolling really quickly then? Because, I mean, I'm, I've got the list in front of me, and, I, you know, again, I'm just mind-blowing <laughs> when you when you start to look at that, you know, that, that, that you know, it goes from Wham, David Grant, Ozzy Osbourne, Pet Shop Boys, Ozzy Osbourne, Blow, you know, and it just continues. And is it, was it a case that it was a, a small, it's a small industry at that point, and just everything came to you because you had, you'd clearly shown success and helped them succeed, or... Yeah, I mean, it, it's um, it's a strange thing, you know. It's 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 when anybody gets kind of busy, and and people tend, seem to want, you know, you know. I think at first it was, you know, we were, as I said, you know, whether it's Sophie Miller or Born Arnell or me or whatever, you know, big TV or that that kind of generation. You know, we'd all been at art school. We all kind of knew each other, and and I think because we'd had a good. You know, we'd been brought up in that kind of post-punk era of creativity. Anybody can do anything. I mean, you know, people at my uh, college at the time of me were people like, you know, Dylan Jones and Sade and, you know, incredible kind of, you know, people like that that, who were just, you you know, your your mates and and your uh, college. But, you know, there was was an environment then of, of... yeah, we can do anything. We're a generation here because of the punk thing, you know, which we were we were post-punk. But, you know, you can do anything. There's nothing that can stop you doing anything. So, you know, I think it was a kind of mindset that at the time that anything was possible. So we were completely prepared to jump in at the deep end and say we could do this and say we could do that when probably, you know, we made it up as we went along. But, I mean... We were lucky to have that moment, I think. You know, it was an incredibly kind of creative moment. And I think, you know, bands and record companies, you know, could could suddenly have a connection with some very creative people who knew how to articulate our creativity and then 
prove that we could shoot it. So it very quickly became like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll go to you for that, we'll go to you for that. And then you'd build up relationships with certain people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after Cucumber, I was at a company called Big Features, which was run by Big Tom Watkins, who had – you know, who went on to have E7, he managed to manage E17 and, and Pets, but he, he was the one who introduced me to the Pet Shop Boys, you know. And so at each stage, you know, you're, you're just working with better people and a, a better class of, of creativity, really. So, you know, it's it's kind of exponential. When it's, once it starts to take off, it really took off. But I, I can't really, you know, I can't really analyse it in terms of a career trajectory. It just... Went nuts. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can see that, and I, I think there's something interesting, and I'm interested in your viewpoint on this. And you know, some, 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 you know, we've all got our favorite bands over time, and you know, and and songs that we listen to. Some of them we really know what the music video was, right? And and that's what you remember, and it almost the music video elevates the song and makes it better. Mm. Sometimes. I'm wondering, is, is it also the opposite? The, the, the song makes the, the video so much easier in terms of how, you know, creatively it's just giving you so much more. I mean, I'm just interested in your viewpoint on that and kind of, obviously you're going to be biased slightly. <laughs> no, 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 actually I can be quite subjective about that um, in the sense that it's like any kind of creativity. You know, you, if, you're, if you're planning and designing a campaign, you don't know till it drops or it hits, you know, how good or successful it's going to be. But some, you're always looking for the magic. You're always looking for the sweet spot. And in videos, you know, that can be the combination of the right artist, the right song, you know, at the right time. Sometimes it's a disaster. I mean, sometimes <laughs> it doesn't work at all. You know, you know, sometimes you can have the greatest artist and, you know, and a bad song and a good video. You can have a great artist with a, you know, a bad um, bad song and a great video. You know, I mean, it, it's all interchangeable, but you're always looking for the sweet spot because if you get the sweet spot, it's a home run, basically. Um, and I think all creativity is like that, really. Um, you know, if you could bottle it, we'd all be, you know, we'd be doing it every day of the week. So it's a process of, of learning and experience and trying to kind of exact all the elements and align the stars in, in a row to, to get the best out of a possible you know, possible situation. I mean, sometimes a video can, you know, drag an average song up at the charts and vice versa. Um, but when, as I say, when you hit a sweet spot, you know, it's, um, it's like, no, you know, you can't even, you can't even analyze it sometimes. It just, it, you know, yeah. it's the right thing. And, and one of the things I think that gave me a little bit of an advantage, cause I come from music in a sense, I, I, to me, yeah, it's been creative, but I wasn't, you know, there are certain directors like Godly and Cream and stuff like that, brilliant, brilliant directors, but they would have a really clever idea, you know what I mean? Like they'd use Morphing on Cry to, you know, and, and it's an emotional song and it's a great video. And mm-hmm. da, 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 da. But I was never someone who was looking for, you know, and, and God knows at the time everyone was trying to find a new idea, you know, like Steve Barron did with, you know, Aha and the animation, brilliantly done, you know, whatever. But I always, because I'd kind of played music and I came from the kind of more playing in bands kind of thing, I, and, and I was a huge, you know, pop culture fan. For me, a huge part of of what I did, which I think 
bands and like was that um, it wasn't just whether it was a clever idea or not. It's uh, yeah. performance was a huge element of what I did. You know, if you look at something like a faith, the faith video, okay. you know, it's, it's very simple. It's very, you know, monochrom- monochromatic. It's very two dimensional, you know, looks great. You know, George Michael is, you know, quasi Elvis, you know, image is fantastic. Sweet spot. Great song. Da, 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 da. But for me, what makes it is the performance, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and I just don't think you should lose sight of that, you know. One thing, you know, because I've I've done some teach, you know, some kind of external teaching and masterclasses at unis and stuff like that, and people go, oh, "I've got this great idea," you know, I'll shoot the whole video backwards and they get the bands are lip sync backwards, and I go, "Yeah, you can do that, but it doesn't mean it'll be a good video," <laughs> you know. It's um, you're looking for the sweet spot of the, you know, of the artist, the song, the lyrics, and, and and the timing of it to make a great video. That's that's so interesting because you know you obviously make commercial, um, you know, brand films and things as well, and have done. And I, I think you know often a we we find as a limitation is you know we don't have rights or we can't get rights to these you know amazing A list songs, right? And mm-hmm. often a film can it, it dies a little bit, doesn't it? Because it doesn't have the full sweet spot because it can have the performance, mm-hmm. it can have the writing, but it's like that magic of 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 nostalgia of a song you already know it's like yeah. you know john lewis and these types of ads they all play on this stuff don't they because they they they, they pull in a big name because it, it adds that it's that other layer and i think there's, there's something quite interesting just now in the world that you know in social media for the last however many years we've not been able to use you know individuals normal people have not been able to use commercial songs on anything they do creatively right so that everyone's trying to create stuff and they all put stock in and it kind of uh, subdues it a bit until tiktok suddenly have figured out a model where everyone's allowed to use elton john george michael and you know everyone's getting paid and it's amazing i think i'm watching the creativity of normal people and it's elevating because they've got these amazing songs to play with and it Mm -hmm. almost it opens the audience up twice because you get the creativity and they're there to hear the song they love and it's kind of to your point andy i I don't know there's a (laughs) there's a point in there somewhere but i think it's like is that you know it's been you know that is so good that you've had that those three parts to play with haven't you you know you've got all the the, the great ingredients yeah it's an interesting thing as well because i think you know, the advertising's way of, of dealing with that was, you know, then to get unknown artists, you know, because they didn't want to pay the full sync rights for, you know, a famous, you know, Beatles song or Stone song, you know, and then you get people at Apple and that would, would pay out the millions of pounds to get them or whatever. You know, they, they adapted, didn't they? And then there became this fashion of doing famous songs but with unknown artists or, you know, and um, – the guy did uh, Mad World and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? And 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 yeah. so that was a kind of way of adapting. I mean, I think TV of because TV had this blanket agreement with the PRS <laughs> that you know it's weird because you can use anything on TV in terms of drama and you know documentaries and stuff like that if if they are specifically made for TV. Yeah. Um, so so in EastEnders, you might get you know an amazing Stones track in the back of the game. You think, fuck, how did they get that? Of course, it's part of the blanket deal. Well, uh, I realise that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but then, but then, if you do like an independent movie or you know a, a film on Netflix or doc, documentary or whatever on Netflix or Amazon or whatever, then you have to pay sync right. So that becomes expensive again, unless it's about the specific artist or whatever. 
Um, so you've got all those anomalies going on. And then in Hollywood films, yes, you know, the, the big studios will pay the big money for the big track. And, um, yeah. and, and that works for them. But that's, you know, that's why on smaller independent movies, it's harder to get great classic tracks. So then they, you know, tend to default back to, you know, what advertisers did for a while, which is to get unknown people to sing famous tracks because then they only have to pay a certain mm-hmm. amount of the publishing. Do you see what I mean? So it, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is a minefield that one has to navigate. But going back to videos, yes, there were absolutely moments where, you know, you get carte blanche to, to you know, write an idea for the most amazing artist and the most amazing act. And, you know, and if it works, it's a slam dunk. Yeah. And so leading in there then, you know, you talked about creative process. I'd love to know, right, how how does this, how, what's, how does the process work in terms of, right, let's, you know, you know let's pick out someone from here. I don't know. Um, well, you, you pick someone and like when they come and they bring a song, what, what's the first step for you? How, how well, does that look like? It, it varies. You know, someone like an Elton John, he'll just say, you know, what's your idea? And what if you say, Bruce, say, yeah, great. Tell me when to turn up or turn up. His people do, and his people delivering him, and and he turns up. You know, someone like Axel on Guns N' Roses was working with a, a journalist called Del James, who'd written this kind of short story trilogy that became Don't Cry, November Rain, Estranged. Um, but that's a story in itself because. Uh, the truly the trilogy that story it, it it didn't really turn out how that story was first conceived because of various political things that were going on with with the band at the time um you know is he leaving and Axel in and out relationship with Stephanie C. I mean, so the whole thing was became like a circus. So, you know, that's when you're just trying to hang on to any narrative. People go to me, you know, those Guns N' Roses videos, most amazing, you know, huge videos, narratives, and but even I'd be hard pressed to to kind of you know to analyze exactly what went on in every scene or deconstruct it for. Uh, you know, as some students have, I get contact by students. Oh, yeah, I've, you know, I've deconstructed November Rain and you know, <laughs> the symbolism here and there and what you did there. And I was going, yeah, well, great. That works for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you know, it was a bit like Spinal Tap for me. Uh, but normally the process is I'll get sent, I will get sent a track and yeah. I'll be asked uh, amongst other different directors to, you know, uh, put together an idea of treatment and over the years they, they you know we used to just write them in and in days before again before computers we you know that's why i've still got a, a library of photographic books you know we go to the photocopier and we you know put together look look books and you know board mood boards and stuff like that and then of course we do that all electronically now but one of the one of the big things for that i found quite useful um in those early days and that was I always had interest interest in in writing and literature anyway, so at least I could articulate. Um, yeah. You know, some some contemporary directors of mine, you know, didn't didn't have that same skill set, but would you know they would find a way around the box. And I've Vaughn Arnell, for instance, a really old mate of mine, who's made some amazing videos for. George as well, George Michael as well, and Robbie Williams and stuff. You know, his way of doing a pitch would would pretty early on because he's dyslexic and all that kind of stuff, would be to put a video camera in front of him and he would describe the video. Yeah. Great, whatever works. And I just think that shows 
it shows there's not any one way to present yeah. something. You have to find the right solution creatively to present something. And and but in both instances, one you know one has to be able to articulate. Um, you know, I mean, I, there was one director who everyone thought was a genius. I wouldn't name names, but you know, he his career kind of fizzled out because he was so shy. Mm-hmm. That he would sit in a meeting and he he couldn't really talk or articulate, mm-hmm. and people would get frustrated with him. Now you know, brilliant visualist, brilliant yeah. ideas guy, but you know, you almost had to kind of sit next to him and listen to, to you know him whispering <laughs> to find out what he's going to say. So, um, but, so I think communication is is a huge part of what we do to get as part of that process yeah and, and so do, do you prefer to try and sell in what your vision is and kind of keep it as tight as possible or do you believe that the best creative solution comes when you're in collaboration with the band both i mean it, it sometimes you have to lead from the front and and they're not particularly interested in collaborating sometimes you collaborate because it's a good thing to do and sometimes you're forced to collaborate <laughs> which you know and then you have to be clever you know you know sometimes an artist's vision of themselves is, you know, kind of myopic and they only see themselves in one way. And, you know, sometimes you want to expand their, the horizons of how they're seen or or how they're perceived by people. So, but, you know, that's the fun of it. You know, every single one is slightly different. And uh, But, yes, I'd like to be able to articulate my ideas, sell my ideas in, and then stay as true to the ideas as possible. Um and when it mm. that's for music videos, when it comes to commercials, it's different. As you know, you produce yeah. storyboard. They they tend to have storyboards first or a script. And what you try to do is is you know to to elevate that or, or suggest mm. things that improve it or even add things in so you give them people you know clients and agencies options in in the edit. So you know so that, so it, you try and give that some fluidity as well. Um, mm. You know, they're slightly two different kind of skill sets, really. Even though they're both filmmaking, and then if you work with the Japanese, they will look at the storyboard and and they can't they can't figure out why you'd want to shoot anything other than the storyboard. <laughs> uh, they'll be looking at the storyboard, looking at your image, and they want you to match everything. But I mean, that's to do with their culture. That's to do with yeah. them having promised their client a film based on the storyboard they presented. So you have to be adaptable, really. You have to, you know, I always try and inject a little bit of me into everything I do. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And what what, what do you think that me is in in amongst that? Is there a a signature that you have in it? I think there's, um, yeah, there's a few. There's a few trigger points. But, you know, the, the, the marriage of music and images, the kind of lyricism of that, you know, mm. is, you know, I find, you know, sometimes you have an amazing photographers who want to be directors, and, and, but they, they're used to composing their images as static images because they're yeah. photographers. And what I've always tried to do is move the camera. So I think there's a, you know, and that connection mm. with the music. So whatever I'm doing with this music videos or commercials or whatever films, I like to have a lyricism in the way I shoot. I like to move the camera. I like, I like kind of craft. I don't, you know, there's a fashion that has been since digital's come in of, you know, people just picking up a camera and, and, you know, shooting point, you know. And so, you know, the craft of lighting, composition. I mean, I was taught so much at art school about Mm -hmm. composition. You know, we, they, you know, we would be taken, 
you know, before we would get anywhere near a camera, our tutors would take us down to the National Gallery or the National Portrait Gallery, and we'd learn about horizon lines and eye lines. And you know, one of the, one of the most amazing things I did on foundation was, you know, me and a bunch of other students were, were stuck in a room full of pictures and told to hang the pictures. <laughs> And it's amazing what you kind of learn again about, say, eye lines, horizon lines, and stuff like that. And and now I'm terrible. Don't ever invite me to your house because I'll rearrange all your pictures. I'm, I'm not looking at your pictures behind you, behind you just now. Too. <laughs> well, these ones here actually are from my grand some sketches for movies from my grandfather. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So because my dad gave me and my brother a whole folder of of stuff because he was clearing out his. Uh, the attic or the garage. And he said, oh, this is some of your grandfather's stuff if you want it. And we're like, oh, my God. I yes. Mean, you know, <laughs> it was incredible. Andy, I'm going to take this interview in a different direction now. Okay. Um, and it's a technique my wife uses in taxis. And it, and it's the most entertaining thing. She always asks tax, taxi drivers, what's the craziest thing that happens in this taxi, right? <laughs> now, to give context, you get great stories from taxi drivers, by the way. So it's a really good, it's a good, it's a good thing to ask. But uh, in terms of like, you know, you, you've, you, you've worked with and met some of the, you know, some of the biggest egos, the biggest stars, the, you know, the, the greatest bands of all time. And there's got to be some amazing and crazy stories in there that, and, you know, I don't know, you know, you know that I'm a big Guns N' Roses fan. So whether you wanted to shape some around Guns N' Roses, that would be selfish for me, perhaps. Or if you have any stories that just, that just, that there are good stories. I'm, I'm all ears and, and I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, there are, the Guns N' Roses ones are a good source of great stories. And um, two that particularly I remember as being kind of ridiculous and, but kind of summed up the spinal tap kind of nature of of that period was um one was when um actually it's two or three there's some good ones when we, when we shot in november rain we shot the performance stuff at the orpheum theater in uh, downtown la and um the band had their their roadies and everything bring all their equipment down you know the thing with the orchestra and slash again on the on the on the uh, piano and stuff like that and this is a true story and after the first couple of takes the the music was so loud that the rats were running out of the uh out of the, out of the theater. And, and slash had some of his roses catch the rats for his uh, pet snakes he kept back at home so that is a true story that's pretty that's pretty mental um, another one was on estranged where you see a limousine blacked out limousine riding down the hill from axel's house uh, which we shot from a helicopter and it's blacked out window you can't see anybody in the limousine and axel insisted on sitting in the limousine for every single take we did from the helicopter even though i said to him you don't have to sit in this limousine you can go back home you can go and sit in your house and watch tv i can't see you in the car he goes no 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 I, my video, you know, video. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in my video, and I just, I, I just gave up arguing with him. After that. So that was pretty nuts. Um, yeah, it's crazy, the crazy stuff. Um, <laughs> him swimming with dolphins in Estranged as well, which was he got nudged by a dolphin, you know, who was just trying to be friendly and completely freaked out. And, you know, we were in Virgin Islands in. Uh, Caribbean and he hopped straight on a, a boat and went back to Miami and flew back to LA. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was just the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. <laughs> anyway. And so is there a lot of that kind of like, I suppose, is there a lot of having to work around, you know, people that have a lot of, a lot of eyes on them and a lot of attention and you know is, is, does it make your job harder does it make it yeah, it does a bit i mean at the time and to be fair to all of the uh, guns and roses at the time it, it had become a circus they were the biggest rock and roll band in the world yeah. usually your illusion one and two was you know album was going through the roof you know they were on on and off tour the band in band was kind of falling apart izzy had left the band Axel was pissed off with him for that. You know, there were various, uh, you know, substance abuse problems going on with different members of the band. And Axel, who was probably the cleanest of, you know, you know, cleanest of the lot, he liked to smoke a bit of weed, I think, but he was, you know, he was a pretty fit guy. You saw him live and everything like that. Was desperately trying to keep this kind of dysfunctional band together. And which was fine when he was on it, but then he'd have his meltdowns as well and then and, and not want to turn up for it. You know, people say, Oh, they're the most expensive videos ever made. You know, half of them were they, you know, they were like they, they didn't turn up or they were like vampires. <laughs> you know, you you'd miss the daylight, so you have to keep them up all night shooting something else. So you get, you know, a shot of them in the daylight first thing in the morning. And they were moaning about it as well, you know. <laughs> oh, I go to bed. You know, they they literally like vampires. So that so it was difficult because you're playing as well as trying to be creative and shoot creative stuff and wrangle production and that sort of stuff you've got this whole kind of dysfunctional family it's like herding cats but <laughs> i can i can only imagine I, I i you know i said to you when we met the other week that um very strangely just two weeks before chatting to you i'd been watching the behind the scenes of november rain on youtube with mm -hmm. you in it not knowing that we were going to be sitting talking about it so mm -hmm. Um, it was uh, it was very insightful uh, an insightful watch. Um, I, suppose... know, I, I haven't watched that for a while. I should watch it again. I think I was a lot crankier than as you said. I was telling people <laughs> yeah, to, I think to, yeah, to yeah, it was a, a certain swear words that you said <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> no. Um, um, no, I, I suppose Andy. Um, in terms of like you know you've done so much and you know it's very inspiring you know and it's inspiring for me it's inspiring for everyone i'm sure who's listening or watching and um you know what what's the what's the highlight of you know if you to pick one out of everything that you've done and you know you, you know if you were to be remembered for one one of these these films that you've made is there, is there one that stands out or is it, is it is it the collection of them all well yeah the the collection is very important and the best ones you know i could pre name you know six to a dozen videos that i'm hugely proud of i think the most gobsmacking exciting moment was when i shot michael jackson and slash together on that mm. video given to me because even though it's a performance video i mean you know forget what michael jackson became or you know the you know different accusations about what he was and who he was but you know he was the most incredible artist and performer in at his height and when michael jackson and slash did a track together and we filmed the video called it's called for a song called give in to me which actually had its first view, um, airing on uh, the opera winfrey show um, mm -hmm. which at the time was interesting because normally one a video like that would have its premiere on mtv whatever. um but you know to actually i mean literally the first take we did with them i forgot to say cut i was completely dumbstruck <laughs> basically and uh, in the take, even though the track had finished i'm like it was unbelievable it was it was like watching you know watching a 
you know, he was like, he was like someone from another planet. I mean, he was like ET grown up or something. I mean, he didn't <laughs> seem human, you know, and, and, and when the music started, it was like, you know, putting batteries in the Duracell bunny. He would literally, electricity would course through his body and he'd come alive. And, and it, for me, that was, you know, it, it was it was a huge, huge couple of artists to work with, doing an amazing track, performing in an amazing way. And even as I say, no, it was a performance video. It was electric. It was exciting, and um, I think that was really, if I had to single a moment out, that was it. No, oh, fantastic, fantastic, mm. and. And I suppose now looking back on this career and not to say that it's finished, right? Because you've you've clearly got a very successful career that continues. But um is there anything that you would do differently now? Would you head in a different direction or are you very are you pleased in the direction? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure you are, but I mean you know, I'm just interested to know if there's some if there's something else that you're unfulfilled with or that you still want to complete. Yeah, I mean I there are in terms of films and stuff. I mean very after the Hell Guns and Roses thing, I did um the third Highlander film, and it, you know, mm. I had small kids at the time, and it was a really tough thing to do. I shoot, shoot in Canada, and I had you know producers stealing money and stuff like that, and, and it was a real battlefield. That, so I didn't go near movies for years after that. Mm. I, I I came back and basically started a commercials career, second phase of my career back back in the UK, which was great. Don't get me wrong, that was fantastic, but. I kind of rather let the movie side of things go because it was just so disruptive in terms of, you know, family and stuff like that. Because, mm -hmm. um, you, you know, film does consume you. So it wasn't until a couple of years ago when I made my own little, little small British film that I co-wrote, you know, a thing called Boogeyman, which was across, you know, like a, about 18-year-old British Indian kid who was obsessed with Saturday Night Fever. So, um, so it has all this kind of Bangra Asian you know, disco okay. matchups and stuff, which was fun. And then that was a kind of labor of love. And now I'm developing, you know, I'm, I'm you know, set to do a film this year with Stanley Tucci and stuff like that. And I'm developing a couple of TV drama series and stuff like that, you know. So that's kind of part of my, my career that I, I, I still want to do desperately. You know, music videos, yeah, if somebody asks. I might do one if I could, if I'm if I'm that interested. I mean, a few years ago, I did a you know four or five for Biffy Claro because you know Simon asked me and then we got on great and and I loved working with them and you know but that's that's a rarity these days. Commercials, yeah, you know, it, I've done a lot of great commercials, fun commercials, and again, if I'm interested, I, I might do a, a campaign or something. But I, I really took a decision four or five years ago to to really concentrate on the, the, the drama side of stuff, whether it's films or TV, because that's something that I feel is my kind of destiny, really. And um, so, and, and it's really difficult to juggle all those things. So you kind of have to prioritize. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I suppose over the, over your career, technology has changed. You know, it's, cameras have got smaller, easier. The You know, technology mm -hmm. has sped up. And, um, you know, obviously no, no technology replaces the, the skill set of being able to storytell or, you know, mm -hmm. to, to direct. But I suppose I'm interested where you see things are going now. You know, that, um, you know, there's so many more 
people now have access to cameras and tech and that that has that entry level has come down but you know where do you think storytelling's going uh, you know i've noticed with like virtual production and game engine stuff yeah. disney and pixar are putting out like kind of films that then interact with as games um, yeah i mean that's one element of it i think that you know tech will always push things forward as you say the virtual production thing is getting really interesting in terms of creating environments live action environments with inserted backgrounds that move in you know in concert with the camera and stuff like that and um, and that's really good fun and that's great and it's going to replace green screen probably and it's going to allow people to to create worlds where they don't necessarily have to travel which given the covid thing is really interesting mm -hmm. but still storytelling and you know the way people see things but I'm, I'm a big advocate of of craft and you, should, you know whatever level you are whether you're a student or the beginning of your career the middle of your career or you know even now you know i can sit there and i can watch a queen's gambit and you know just fall over myself at the brilliant art direction of it you That's know what i'm saying isn't it? And the, oh and the props and the, and the wardrobe and same with you know yeah same with something like um the, the the serpent you know i can't really follow the story but i don't really care because the clothes are so great <laughs> and the environments are so great you know what i'm saying yeah, but, yeah. so i'm a i'm a big and i think storytelling in a funny kind of way will never change that's why you know mm -hmm. some of the great hollywood movies weren't necessarily about the way they were shot they were the stories you know if you look back from the 40s and 50s or even that kind of golden period in the early 70s of you know the cobblers and the and the you know um directors like that you know those films then you know we, they weren't necessarily driven by the box office they you know it was about the craft of it i'm a big person that people should learn their craft you know watch mm -hmm. old films watch you know learn how to do things i remember my dad you know pulling me and my brother out of bed one night. I think he was watching a, an old John Ford movie and okay. he probably had a couple of glasses of whiskey or whatever. And he's going, look, boys, that's economy of style. You know, two people just 50-50 talking to each other, no over the shoulder, no close-ups. Just a, And we're like, oh, yeah, great. You know, let's go back to bed. <laughs> but it kind of rubs off on you, you know, and all this stuff with my grandfathers and stuff. I mean, he trained yeah. as a... As a, as a um, he trained in the art department as a draftsman for about six, seven years before he was let anywhere near, you know, a set or a camera or whatever. And, you know, it, it all, for me, all goes back to, you know, to craft and art school and stuff like that. And, and, and yeah, it's a little pet peeve of mine about, you know, anyone can, no, not anyone can pick up a, a film and shoot. No, that, that's wrong. You're right. Entry level is much easier for people, but, my pet peeve is that people have become casual about that. That that's enough. You know what I mean. And one thing, one thing. If you look at really great, you know, moving images, whether they're commercials, music videos, films, TV things, is when you see something that's incredibly lit, incredibly shot, and that it, you know, that doesn't happen by accident. That happens by years and years of kind of you know studying and their instinct and looking at paintings and looking at eye lines and looking at uh, composition and stuff like that and, and if, if i'd encourage anybody to do anything creatively it would be learn your craft because in a way the more you learn and the more experience you have is that that's the release that allows you to do things you didn't know you were capable of 
Yeah. Well, Andy, I was going to ask about getting into <laughs> getting into it for people that are younger, but I think you've answered it, <laughs> and I think you've given that nugget. So I'm conscious of your time, and uh, you know, just want to thank you for you know uh, giving being so gracious with it, and um, you know, um, and to everyone that was listening, thanks so much for listening. If you want to support the podcast, please do rate or review us, help us get the word out. We publish a new episode every uh, Monday, last Monday of the month. And so um, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.